I had the chance to share a testimony of what God has done over the last 40 years. There are many of you here. If you got the mic, you could give a testimony of what God has done over the last 60 years, 70 years. Right? There are others of you who haven't been a believer that long, but you could tell what God has done over the last year, the last three months. Right? Now, when I shared what God is doing in Eastern Central Africa, we have the privilege. We have the privilege to be a part of what he is doing. But God wants every one of us to be fruitful. Not just missionaries, not just pastors, all of us. Doesn't he? Yeah. All of us need lives that produce fruit. None of us want to simply exist. We want our lives to make a difference, don't we? Now, there is a, a parable that Jesus uses. It's called the parable of the sower. We find it in Matthew chapter 13. And in that parable, I think Jesus gives us some insights into how we can be fruitful. I just want to look at it with you this morning. Look at that parable and look at how, how you and I can be more fruitful in the way that we live. It's in your, it's in your bulletin. Or it's, uh, if you take the Bible that's right there in front of you, it's on page uh, 690 in, your, in that Bible. Or you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so they got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Now this is the parable. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered them across his field, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly, and because the soil was shallow, the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they had planted. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Let's pray. Dear God, help us this morning to listen and to understand. You gave us this parable to help us to be fruitful, to have 
30, 60, 100 fold from our lives. Father, that our lives might produce fruit. Each one of us here, God, we're here. We want to go to heaven. That's the goal of all of us. But Father, we don't want to go alone. We want to go that others have heard and others go with us. Father, I just pray right now you would help us to grasp some of these insights, these principles of how we can be more fruitful. We commit this time to you now in your name. Amen. There are really four types of soil here. We call this parable the parable of the sower. But really it should be called the parable of the soils. Because what's different is the soils. There's four different types of soil. There's hard soil. There's shallow soil. There's the thorny soil or the, the weeds amongst the... And then lastly, there's good soil or fertile soil. Now, this morning I woke up about 5 o'clock and I felt impressed to turn my whole sermon upside down. Because many times we read the... We read something the way that it's written, and we just read it, and that's the way we've always read it. But I want to turn it around today, and I'm going to start with the good soil. Okay? And if you look at this parable, it's a unique parable, because Jesus explains the meaning of it. Most parables, we don't get that. But this one, we get an explanation. Okay? And his explanation to the disciples is from verse 19 to 23. Okay? Now, we're going to start with verse 23 and work our way backwards. Verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Okay? So we hear, we see here that the good soil hears and understands. Now, you're here today, you're hearing the word of God. But do we understand what the word says? If we're going to be fruitful, we not only need to be hearers of the word, but doers also. We need to understand it. We need to put it into practice, right? If we're going to be fruitful. It's not enough simply to hear it. Now, if we look in Matthew chapter, uh, no, John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is the chapter about the vine and the branches, right? And if you look at verse 5, it says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. Now jump down to verse 8. 
When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So it's his will that we produce fruit. How do we do it? We have to be plugged in to the vine. And then if you read on here, if you go on from verse 9, it talks about love. It talks about joy. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If you try to produce fruit in your own ability, your own energy, you might produce something, but you won't produce lasting fruit. To have lasting fruit, you have to have the fruit of the Spirit together with whatever energy and enthusiasm you put in with that. Because if you look down into, look over to verse 16, it says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Okay? So to have lasting fruit, we have to be abiding in him. When we abide in him, the byproduct, that word abiding is really what influences us. The byproduct of abiding in him is fruit. Okay? Fruit of the Spirit and fruit in the lives of others. Now, let's go back to our text. Matthew chapter 13. Let's go to verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. Okay, here you see they hear it, but they don't understand it. Okay, it just says they hear it. They hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so that no fruit is produced. Now, I want to propose to you that these are also Christians. They're not rejecting the word. The word is not rejected. There's simply no fruit because of the King James said, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. It's not that they reject the word. They just don't have time. They're living life. Life is busy. We have lots of things to do, don't we? And in many ways... What keeps us as believers from being fruitful is that we hear too much of the world and not enough of the word. We hear it and we hear it and we hear it. And the world keeps telling us what we need. Right? The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. The world keeps telling us we need it. We need more of it. And we need more of it. Right? Let me ask you a question. 
Retirement. How much is enough? More, right? <laughs> A few years ago, when Rockefeller was asked, when he was the richest man in the world, no longer Rockefeller, they asked, how much money is enough? He said, more. Isn't that what the, word tell, what the world tells us? We never have enough. The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, let's look at what the word says. Okay? If you go to, let's look at Luke chapter 12. Another parable that Jesus uses. Luke chapter 12. Let's read 16 through 21. Then Jesus told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sound familiar? Okay. But God said to him, you fool. The real word there is idiot. Okay? That's the Greek translation. You idiot. The truth is, many of us are living by what the world tells us, not by what the word tells us. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, in, starting in verse 19, Store up for yourselves treasures. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, where moths eat it and, and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Get that one. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you have a lot of money in stocks, you probably get the Wall Street Journal, and the first thing you do in the morning is you look at, did they go up or did they go down? True? Because your treasure is there. Now, if you don't have any stocks, you don't get the Wall Street Journal and you don't look. True or not true? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want a heart for missions, you want a heart for unreached people, put some treasure there. Put some treasure there and you'll be concerned about what's happening because you've invested in it. Your heart will follow your treasure. Many times we as missionaries, 
We try to give people a heart for missions. The best way is you, you part with a little bit of treasure. <laughs> part with a little bit of treasure and your heart will go. Your heart will follow it. Philippians 1.21 says, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If for you living is anything but Christ, dying is not gain. You came into this life with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. If your treasure is things, your treasure's money, you're leaving it behind. Even if your treasure is your wife or your children, death is not gain. Is it? It's separation. You're leaving them. The only way that death can be gained is if, to me, to live is Christ. So if living is Christ, death is gain. If we're living for anything else, death is not gain. So how can we be more fruitful? How can we do it? Let me, let me just read one more scripture. This one will help us kind of solidify this one. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Let me read verse 11 first. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss, but the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I am not saying that if you're not living a fruitful Christian life, you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that, and this scripture doesn't say that. It just says that all that you're living for is going to be burned up. Right? So it just, it, it just reiterates what Jesus said about the rich guy who put it all away and eat, drink, and be merry. You fool. Right? Because if you live for those things, they're going to pass away. You'll escape as through the fire. You'll go, if, if you're counting on the grace of God, you're going to heaven. Right? For by grace you save through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We do not work in order to 
go to heaven. None of us. If you're relying on his blood, on his grace, you're going. What I'm talking about today here is not about going or not going. I'm talking about making good use of the time you've got here to be fruitful. I want to go as much as you do. But I want to go with as many people as possible. I want as many people as possible to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't want, it's not just for me, it's for them. Jesus' heart for the world, 1 Peter 3, 9, he's not willing that any should perish. Right? But that, he says, he is being patient with us. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We need that kind of heart, don't we? So how? How can we be more fruitful? Let's go back to our text, Matthew chapter 13. We're going backwards, but back to verse 20 now. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as there are problems or, or are persecuted for believing God's word. Back in the original parable, this is called the shallow soil with underlying rock. Okay? Many of us, we do our evangelism to our friends, our neighbors, and we give them half a gospel. We give them the wealth, prosperity, blessing gospel, right? And they receive it with joy. But when the troubles come, they're not around. Billy Graham just passed away. The greatest evangelist we have ever seen. Billy Graham himself admitted 3% of the people that come forward in the Crusades actually end up in church where they are discipled and where they grow. 3%. We take a survey right here. How many of you were saved in an evangelistic crusade? One, two, three, four, five. That's about 3%. That's about what it is. Most people come to Christ through a friend that disciples them, somebody who cares, somebody who shows them the love of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus tell us to go and convert people. We're told to make disciples. The Great Commission is make disciples by going evangelism, by baptizing, that is incorporating them into a body where they can grow, and by teaching. 
But many times we just do the evangelism, just the declaration. It's not enough. If your friends, your family are going to come to Christ, they have got to see the love of Christ in you. They need a place where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at Jesus' example. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is how Jesus called people. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Go over to Luke 14. Verse 25, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't be, he says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin constructing a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete the foundation before running out of money and everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. In crusade evangelism, we can't be preaching half a gospel. Blessing, prosperity, healing, it's all there. It's all there. But it's half. If you want to preach like Jesus, Jesus would say, Follow me, it's death to you. And isn't really, that really what Christianity is? The seed has to die before it can produce fruit. When the people were coming to follow Jesus, it was like he was trying to dissuade them away from following him. Foxes have holes, birds have nets, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about it. You really want to follow me? Jesus did not do crusade evangelism. He turned to the crowd and said, count the cost. And when we share the gospel with our friends... Don't just share half of it. Share the whole gospel. Because we are commanded to make disciples, not just to make converts. The mother who gives birth to a child and walks away is not a good mother. But many times as a church, in evangelism to the people around us, 
We give birth and walk away. We need to be, a church needs to be a place where we disciple people, where they can grow in their faith. Let's go to the first verse of Jesus' explanation. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom, but don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. This is hard soil. These are the unreached people of our world. They hear it, but they do not understand it. Transworld Trans Radio says that the gospel is preached around the world, and it is true. But many times it's not preached in their language, and it's not preached in a way that they can accept it, that they can understand it. Look at Matthew twenty four fourteen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, right? As a testimony, catch that, as a testimony to all people. And then the end will come. When is he coming back? When we get the job done. And the job is not being done simply by preaching the word. This gospel will be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all peoples. Now, a testimony isn't preaching. A testimony is what God has done in my life. Right? We can't simply preach the word to our world. We have to go with a testimony so they, they can see Christ in us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. We know love because Christ came and showed us love. Right? No. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, today we think, no, we don't need to go. We've got the internet. We've got the radio. We've got the TV. They can get the gospel in all different ways. But Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The greatest missionary of all time was Jesus himself. Because he left his culture where he was God. He was part of the Godhead. He laid it all aside, according to Philippians chapter 2, and came here to show us the love of the Father. And he's telling us what he did, we're supposed to do. So these unreached people groups, now it could, 
It depends on the statistics you read. <laughs> Between a quarter of a third or a third of our world, depending on the stats that you read, are unreached. That means there is no church amongst those people. How are they going to be reached? They're going to be reached when we go. When we show them the love of Christ. This gospel will be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all people and then the end will come. He has not come. Not because he doesn't love us, the church. He loves us. He has not come because he loves them. We're very, we are very focused on our heavenly reward. Our heavenly reward is there. We need to be focused on being fruitful, reaching our world with the glad gospel of Jesus Christ so that he can come for them, not just me. We have a world that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have so much of our world that is bound in ignorance, bound in sin. They have no idea of the glad gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are the privileged ones in this world. We're the ones who have received great grace. But it's not for ours to simply keep to ourselves. It's for ours to proclaim it in any way we can. To those next door, to the people you work with, and to the people around this world. There are three types of people in this world. There are Christians. A third of our world today calls themselves Christians. A third of our world. Most of them are unfruitful Christians. They've, they've got their ticket, they're heading for heaven, but they're not fruitful in the meantime. I don't want to live that way. You don't want to live that way, do you? We can live different, can't we? I have a challenge for you this week. When you wake up in the morning, when that alarm goes off, okay, before you start, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that, I want you to just pause and pray. Lord, make me fruitful today. Help me to make the most of every opportunity I have today. Now, for some of you, you can lay there and pray that prayer. For others of you, you need to stand up and pray that prayer. Because if you lay there and pray that prayer, you're not getting to work today. So whatever works for you. But before you go on to anything else that you have to do today, I want you to pray that prayer. Just this week, these seven days this week, try it. 
You remember what was spoken here this morning, every morning, as you pray that prayer. Lord, make me fruitful today. Provide opportunities for me to share your love today. And then secondly, secondly, I want you to pray. God, help me. Help me to have a burden for the unreached. If you read the book of Nehemiah, read the book of Nehemiah. The first chapter, Nehemiah gets bad news. Okay? Bad news from Jerusalem. The gates are burned. The walls are broken down. Okay? Chapter 2, he goes back to work. Now, most of us think that that was, he got the news today, he went back to work tomorrow. But if you look at the, the dates at the beginning of those two chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 2, it is between 6 and 8 months between chapter 1 and chapter 2. So when Nehemiah goes before the king in chapter 2, and the king says, what's wrong? He said, I've gotten bad news. The king says, what do you want me to do? He says, send me. That's because he had spent six months praying. He had spent six months praying about the problem in Jerusalem. You spend six months praying about unreached people. Those people who have never, ever heard the gospel of Christ. You'll be ready to do something. Maybe you won't go. But you'll send, you'll mobilize, you'll do something that those people might be reached. Okay? Two things. This is the action step this week. You know, many of us, we come, we hear a sermon. You can't even remember the sermon from last week. If I had a, we had a, a, a poll here. Write down what the, what the sermon was last week. Most of us can't remember. But if you put into practice what you heard this morning, you'll remember it next Sunday because you did it all week. Right? When you wake up, you're going to pray. God, help me to be fruitful today. Provide opportunities for me to share your love. Number two, you're going to pray, God, give me a heart for those people who have never been reached. And you'll see what God will do. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we can be fruitful Christians. Thank you, God, for the call that you have on each one of our lives. Thank you that we are bathed in your love. We're bathed in your grace. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Father, for the glad gospel that we have to declare to our world. To those right around us and to those around the world, you have given us the keys to the kingdom. You have given us a message to declare.
I pray for each one here, each one here, that during this week, they will have a week like they have not had before. Father, provide opportunities. Help each one, Father, to see fruit in their week this week. And Father, I pray that you would give each one of us your heart for the lost. That we would not be willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Father, give us that heart. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen.